for joining me here on this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. Doing something a little bit different this time, I've teamed up with Rob Johnson from Apologetics 105. Really nice, really great guy. Uh, great Apologetics podcast uh, that all of you should listen to. And so to make you listen to it, <laughs> uh, and he's doing the same for his audience, we're dividing this podcast across our two podcasts. So uh, this is actually part two. Um, so before you listen to this podcast, put this on pause, go to iTunes, um, go to Podbean, wherever you wherever you get your podcasts, uh, wherever you stream it from, uh, look up Apologetics 105 and find part one. Uh, you'll want to listen to that before you listen to this part two. Um, we're trying to kind of introduce our, our audiences to some broader uh, great apologetics shows and Apologetics 105 is definitely one of uh, the great shows that you should listen to. Um, we discuss a lot of topics. We go from uh, on his, on, on, on episode one, uh, we talk about Molinism and some of my concerns we also touch on to the very beginning uh, our dear dear friend David McAfee um, and then in this episode uh, here for part two um, we're going to go into a little bit of monolinism uh, but really uh, his right to rejoinder and some of his concerns uh, and, and critiques of Calvinism um, which is a position that I hold uh, if, if you've enjoyed this show uh, or others uh, keep listening I'm going to do a series on Calvinism uh, coming up soon it'll be a much longer series much more robust series um, so hopefully you can uh, enjoy that um, as always uh, during this time if you have any questions or comments you want to partake in the show um, you can find us on the Facebook group the Freed Thinker group follow the blog uh, or or find uh, the podcast freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com so with that let's dive on into this episode with Rob Johnson from Apologetics 105 enjoy the show All right, so joining me today is Rob Johnson from Apologetics 105. Rob, how are you? Doing well, sir. Good, good. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. It's been in the works for a couple months now trying to trying to get on. Glad this schedule finally worked out um, to have you on the show. So we're, we're here. Uh, it is going to be our, our Reformation celebration <laughs> um, <laughs> episodes. Um, Rob and I are doing something a little bit different. We're uh, actually dividing the show across our two podcasts, kind of cross-pollinating our, our audiences. And this is actually part two um, of a conversation that Rob and I are having um, dealing with Molinism and Calvinism. Um, so Rob graciously had me on his show um, to tell him why uh, I had problems with his view on what is called Molinism. Uh, and now Rob is, is coming on, on the Freed Thinker to tell me why uh, I'm an ignorant knave. <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's, he's much more, he's much more nice than that. Uh, but he's here to, to tell me, uh, why he, um, has problems with, with Calvinism, uh, as a theology, um, but really, uh, why also it might fail as an apologetic on, on some issues. So Rob, um, before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of your background, how you got into this, um, and, uh, and where, where can folks find you? Yeah. Well, first off, I, I really appreciate uh, you doing this. I think part one went really well, and I'm looking forward to having a, a good dialogue on Calvinism. Uh, so you, you just say that because you won already. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, so, so yeah, my name is Rob. I am in Michigan. Uh, so you are very much West Coast. I am very much East Coast. Uh, so, California. Yeah. So, uh, so I actually grew up a non-believer um, until I was about 20, 21. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. Um, so when I met my wife, uh, then girlfriend, now wife, uh, when I was 19, um, her and her family were Christians. So uh, it's kind of like a oil and water kind of thing. So they were trying yeah. to evangelize and witness to me. And, Missionary and, dating. Yeah, and I wouldn't have any of it. Uh, <laughs> so that was a really rough year. Um, and yeah. then finally, slowly through asking questions and having some of these intellectual hurdles that I had cleared, I started to understand a lot better. And um, then completely, by God's grace, um, 
you know, things were kind of opened up and uh, I came into a relationship with the Lord. So it was really a really fascinating experience. And it's one of those gradual things. Um, R.C. Sproul has a book called uh, How Do I Know I'm Saved? And he talks about a couple different processes, like one's gradual, one's immediate. Like, you know, there's the people that know when they were saved. And I was much more gradual uh, taking steps. So because of all the... Uh, the intellectual hurdles that I had, I began to study more and look into the work of people like Ravi Zacharias, uh, William Lane Craig, uh, Greg Kokel, and just look at uh, looking at different apologetic methodologies and understanding apologetics uh, to how do we defend Christianity? How do we bring up and teach people uh, what they know or, or how they know Christianity is true and how can they go out and spread that message in an effective and efficient way. So that's been my mission. So Apologetics 105 started about a year and a half ago. Um, I started writing one night and I said, you know, I'm going to do, you know, I feel really led to do um, sort of an online ministry, which transitioned into the church uh, where I teach now um, on apologetics and theology and, and various uh, tactics for evangelism and so forth. So that's all kind of come together in, in quite an interesting way how the local church ministry ties in very heavily with the apologetics online ministry. And it's turned into a couple of debates uh, with uh, Justin Schieber, one public, one on uh, over streaming on the Internet. And both of those exchanges were really interesting and eye-opening. So I am very new uh, as far as uh, I haven't been doing this 10 years or anything like that. So very much learning, very much uh, open to several views listening. I think we all should be no matter how old or how long we've been doing it, but it's a, it's a very interesting uh, journey. And I, I really do dig apologetics from uh, anybody around my family can probably tell you. They're probably sick of hearing about it. So <laughs> That's awesome. I, I didn't know that you and I have almost the exact same uh, history. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I came to the Lord when I was about 20 uh, through, a, you know, missionary dating. <laughs> uh, and, and, um, and, well, I mean, that, that, that person didn't actually become my wife, unlike yours. Oh, uh, hers was, hers was unsuccessful missionary dating. Um, but it, but it, it, it opened me up to, um, reading apologetics. I was doing a philosophy degree and, um, it was actually through, um, reading some of the works of William Alston and William Lane Craig and, uh, a lot of stuff around the moral argument and the ontological argument, uh, that, that brought me into theism first and then, and then by God's grace into Christianity. So, uh, wow, really, really similar. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. If we could Very get cool. past the Smallism Calvinism hurdle, we'd probably be on the same page I, everywhere. I, you know, you know. Let's 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 take it one step at a time. All right, <laughs> let's not get too friendly. Uh, um, all right, so we we are here. So I, I uh, you know, Rob, you you graciously let me have the first shot across the bow on your show. Uh, now is is your right to rejoinder. Um, so uh, Calvinism, uh, yay or nay? Well, it's interesting because. I lean very reformed in that Molinism, which we talked about on the previous show, ha offers a wide spectrum. Like we talked about, middle knowledge and libertarian free will are the two main stakes in the view. But you'll have people who affirm uh, perseverance of the saints and, and people who do agree that, um, you know, if you, if you, you can quit believing and fall away. So as far as other Molinistic essentials. There aren't really a lot of them other than those two. So it's interesting. I, uh, on the scale, if you put Molinism in the middle and Arminianism and Calvinism on polar opposites, I probably lean more reformed in that I do affirm, uh, perseverance of the saints. Um, not obviously it's a, it'd be a rolling view from Calvin, but, um, definitely that, that people cannot, um, lose their salvation, which would probably be a, a two hour show. Uh, you and I talking back yeah. and forth on that. Cause it's, it's interesting. Um, so I am, I very much appreciate and respect Calvinists and I don't really have a disdain towards any of them uh, unless they, <laughs> for some reason, get very vitriolic towards me. Um, but I, I actually, which some can Hey, all you Calvinists out there, settle down. You're, you're making it hard on the rest of us. Yeah. Well, right. they, they a, well, they didn't have a choice in it, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> no, yeah, but. It's, um, it's, it's the reprobate trying to come back out. Right. So, uh, so I, I do appreciate the the works of Calvin and, and actually have a copy of the Institutes on my bookshelf right there. So, um, 
but I, you know, I'm very open to, to reading more and, and learning more. Um, and I, and I appreciate all the work that's done in, in the, in the high view of the Bible that they take. And it's, it's something that it's, it's really to be admired. And some of my favorite leaders are, um, spiritual leaders would be like John Piper, uh, a lot of the reformed group, um, really interesting stuff. So, so I'm not, Which, here's the, here's the key. Would you baptize your baby? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Um, okay. So, so, um, I haven't, I haven't done an episode on Molinism like you have. Um, so why don't just really quickly thumbnail sketch for, for my listeners, I'm sorry. Uh, he's going to give a thumbnail sketch, but then we're going to start probably about a hundred yards downstream. Um, it's not going to stay very superficial for very long. Apologize uh, if you want more information. He has some uh, uh, some great episodes on on Molinism and defending it on on, on uh, Apologetics 105. So you can find there. This is a new topic for for uh, my podcast, Rob. So if you could just give a ba- just bare bones, you know, sure. one minute snapshot. Sure. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, Randy Everest, who uh, was one of the people who who first opened me up to Molinism, was on my show. So episode number three, we talked for like an hour and a half on it. So that'd be a good place to go get a much more uh, exhaustive uh, understanding of it. Um, but yeah, Molinism is this idea. It was developed by uh, Louis Molina, who was a uh, Jesuit priest. And he saw that... He was a counter-reformer. You're quoting a counter-reformer on our Reformation Day. I know it. Ah, all right. Continue. It. Continue. Um, so, so he had, he saw these two streams in scripture, uh, that God is sovereign. Uh, he can do whatever he'd like to do and that man has free will. So he, he tried to come up with a model to best understand that. And that model has been championed today by the likes of Alvin Plantinga, um, Dr. Kenneth Keithley and, and Bill Craig. Um, so there's, so the work that's being done in this field is, is much more uh, exhaustive than you'd find probably 200 years ago. But uh, so basically what it does is says God has middle knowledge. He knows what we would do uh, in any set of circumstances. And because he knows what we would do freely, he can order the world, uh, maintaining his control and maintaining the free will of man. And uh, if you don't like to listen, you can read. And I have an article called <laughs> A Brief Sketch of Molinism on, uh, on apologetics105.com. So you can read that there as well. Perfect. All right. So um, so that's Molinism in a nutshell. Um, why, why is it that you think that that rubs, uh, rubs across the grain on Calvinism? The the primary issue fully full orb Calvinism because I know you, you you do appreciate some of the doctrine kind of a a full orb five five point Calvinism. yeah um, I know a lot of the 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 first letter of the tulip people are probably quick to attack is the L but I normally focus on the I irresistible grace is something that I've had a really difficult time sinking biblically um, so if God provides grace to people irresistibly uh and that is he he zaps them or whatever however you want to say it um with his grace and from that moment they are saved or regenerated um and people differ on the order but uh that that seems really difficult for me to sync with this idea of god wanting all to be saved people being called to make a decision for christ um talking about belief uh being a tool uh justification by faith and the like so that's normally the first thing that i pick out on calvinism got it and and it took me a second sink you were s-y-n-c i was thinking sink like sink a ship oh (laughs) (laughs) got it uh a good distinction to make (laughs) good good distinction to make you could you couldn't well, because I was like, you couldn't sink it, like you couldn't, you couldn't destroy it. I thought you were against it. I was, I was confused, for a second, but I got you. I caught up. I'm a closet. Uh, this is why. This is <laughs> this is why Rob is beating me, everyone. This is this is why. Um, so okay, so it's so it, it it yeah. So limited time. So ironically, actually, it's the L that brought me into Calvinism hmm. um, because it was through studying the atonement. Um, and, and the, the biblical terminology for the atonement and kind of the conceptually that brought me in, um, it was actually through, through the L ironically that brought me in. Um, and my view on, on the five points is kind of like they're Russian nesting dolls. So once, once you have one, you got them all, uh, they just, they just kind of unpack from each other. Um, so, so for you, um, so you're, so you're, you're good with something like, I'm guessing you're okay with total depravity. Yep. Um, you, you seem, I mean, you seem pretty, uh, pretty biblical on that total depravity. Uh, I'm guessing unconditional election you're fine with. Uh, 
Yeah. Is there a caveat? There is, but it's it's not. It's we can just say yes. I mean, um, yeah. It, I found a lot of people they'll, they'll hold to a kind of a, you're you're going to say that God chooses us not based on uh, on our merit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's not by so our works. So you might not. Right. Sorry, say that again. It's not by our works. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so uh, so you know you know you might not say it, mean it the exact same way that we reform would, but broadly you're okay with it. L, uh, I'm sure we're gonna we're, we'll you'll scrap. Uh, I, you have an issue with, but P, you've said you're you're okay with, right? Perseverance of the saints. We we don't lose our salvation. Yeah, that that would be another modified view in a Molinistic framework and so forth. But yeah, I don't think. Um, yeah, I don't think that's the case biblically speaking. Is, is it? Is the modification that that we persevere, not that God causes us to persevere? No, no, no. It's it's definitely by the Holy Spirit that we persevere. Good man. Okay. So so really, it's the it's the L and the I. You're that, painting that, me as a Pelagian over here. I feel so attacked. <laughs> like oh, so we do it? Oh no, not at all. It's only by God that we're saved. Yeah. You, so you you know you're not a, you're not a Pelagian, right? Um, right. We you know. Uh, it'd be a different different type of discussion if you were a Pelagian. Um, yeah. You're you're clearly you're clearly a brother in Christ. Um, okay, so so uh, so what's what what is it? What what is it specifically as a as a Molinist? Then um, would you? Um, I mean, well, let me let me ask this. Do you think that to be a Molinist you have to be an Arminian, right? I mean, I said on your show that I'm not sure that you can be one without the other. Uh, <laughs> Well, maybe you could be an Arminian without being a Molinist. I don't know, but I'm not sure you could be a, a fully, fully developed Molinist without being an Arminian. And and I should caveat by saying, you know, I I'm never a fan of when people are like, I'm a four point Calvinist. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that's not how that works. That's a diff- that's a different discussion um, for another time. I'm actually about to do a whole series on Calvinism. Uh, you can listen to on that uh, if you want to. But um, what is it? To that. Do you? Do you do you think you can do one without the other? What's kind of the relationship between those two? It's interesting um, because I don't think Calvin, I'm sorry, uh, Arminianism and Molinism are the same. I think there is a distinction and, and middle knowledge w- would be that um, as well as libertarian free will, how God orders the world and so forth. Um, what, what I've read, and I, I hesitate to say this because I haven't seen the citation for myself. So take that, take this for what it's worth. But from what I understand, and I've read this from a couple of scholars is that, uh, Jacob Arminius held to an idea of middle knowledge or Molinism. Uh, I've heard the same. Okay. So again, I haven't laid my eyes on exactly where that's at. Um, so properly speaking, you could say, yes, they are the same, but as Bill Craig puts it, there is a bastardized version of Arminianism that exists today that, um, that is significantly different. So I think Molinism is, is, would be a separate soteriological camp than Arminianism and Calvinism. Would you, would you put our, um, Molinism as a, as a, a soteriological category? I think so. Yeah. That's, that's how I define it. That's interesting. I, I mean, I, I've always kind of thought of it as that that's like the philosophical, philosophically robust version of Arminianism, kind of like, mm. um, uh, I don't know, presuppositionalism uh, or reformed epistemology is the philosophical spade of uh, <laughs> of, of kind of Calvinism. So, uh, so that's interesting. I, I've never thought of it as a, as a soteriology. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can hash that out. Um, so, OK, so um, I'm sure you had some points. So. Um, you 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 have the steering wheel. Um, sure. Dive well, on I, it. All right. Well, I've always wanted to know. Uh, maybe you can help me out. There are things in in the in the last episode we brought up the Bible virtually not at all. So I'd like to get into some theology uh, this episode. Um, but there are some texts that I read, and then I, I read a reformed explanation of them uh, that they just don't seem to sync up with irresistible grace. Um, and I'm sure you know what they are. Uh, the first one would be First John two two, First Timothy two four, and Second Peter three nine. Um, those are, I think it's Acts seven fifty one as well, talking about people resisting the Holy Spirit. So, yep. so those are four texts. And and by the way, I'm not a fan of proof texting, so you'll, you're not going to hear me say, "Oh, what do you do with these?" And then just kind of, you know, "Hey, the show's over. Roll credits." Um, They're gotcha texts. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of that because no one really learns yep. by that way. 
Um, there are people on both sides who do that. So I'm not saying that's, that's strictly something Calvinists do because it's not, but that was just a short list of texts that I I like to examine to just kind of get your opinion on them. And if you want to pick one to start with, and, um, I'd be glad to interact with, uh, what you think about one. So those are the four. So is there any one that you're a little bit more well-versed on and studied in than another? Um, I mean, I've, 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 in, I've engaged with a lot of them. Um, so uh, I know, I know John, uh, first John two, two um, is a big one. Um, well, I'll start there. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to pull up my. Yeah. So in the, in the ESV, um, the elect, the elect standard version, is that okay? I use the ESV almost exclusively. Perfect. ESV only. Well, not exclusively, but <laughs> a lot. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make it's us... The, it, yeah. It, uh, if it was good enough for Paul. Yes, exactly. I was going to say yeah, we're going to make a, a rival to the KJV only camp. So so in 1 John 2.2 2 in the ESV, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this might tie more into limited atonement than irresistible grace. Um, yeah. And I mean, like you said, they're, they're all linked in one way or another. Um, I forget right. what analogy you used, but... Um, the Nessing dolls, the Russian Nessing dolls. Yeah. Yep. So, so they're all linked in one way or another. But it is interesting that... Um, and, and this is, I think, more limited atonement than uh, irresistible grace, but just the idea that if um, if God just picks and chooses uh, who he's going to save in, in either uh, single or double predestination, whatever you prefer, um, passes over people, it, it just seems so strange with texts like, you know, Romans 10, you know, talks about offering the gospel to people and whether or not they're going to choose or decide to believe. So, yeah. so I'll let you go off from there. And again, I don't want to, the last thing I want to do is come across like I'm uh, carpet bombing you with scripture. <laughs> Cause that's oh, no, not yeah, helpful. It's, so it's fine. Fantastic. Um, it, I mean, um, my, my responses might be, um, cause we're, I'm trying to shove in so much into so little amount of time. Uh, might be a little, a little brief on points that we might normally do a lot more work on. That's fine. Um, so, um, so first John two, two, right? So he's the atoning sacrifice. He's the, he's the propitiation for our sins. Uh, not only ours for also for the old world. So a couple, a couple of responses. Um, the first is one of, one of the things that I like to do when I'm discussing Calvinism and we just don't have the time is to really begin at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to talk about irresistible grace if we haven't kind of agreed up through, up through the entire chain all the way to here, right? So, so to get to irresistible grace, you really have to undo those other nesting dolls to get there. It has, it has roots that go backwards, um, some theological concepts and roots that go backwards. Um, so that's, par- that's going to be part of it. Another part of it is um, I, I, I think myself and a lot of reformed people are going are gonna to hold that when you're reading through the New Testament, um, you're having a major shift. Um, you're, you're, going from, you're going from Judaism, which was meant to be a, a kind of a light to moths, right? I mean, Israel was, was meant to be a light to draw people to Israel, right? Whereas now we're supposed to be the light going out to the world. We go out to the nations. Right, so we're not we're not one of those little bug zapping lights. We're a, a flashlight. I don't know the analogy you want to use. Um, so we we're supposed to go out to the world, and so there's a major emphasis in the New Testament of going out to the nations, going out to the world, going out to, the, to all the tribe, go, you know, going out to all people, all tongues, all nations. Right. So when when John says he he's not just for our sins, right? John's writing to to Jews. He's not, and he's saying, look, he's 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 not just a savior for the Jews. Right, he's a savior for all people. It's not sins of all people in the entire world. Every single person, discrete individual. It's that he's a he. He is the savior for the sins of the whole world. Right, it, it the the sins of all the nations. Right, all those who would believe of all people, all tribes, all all, all tongues, all nations. Uh, that's who he's the savior for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I would read a verse like that. I'm um, talking about the whole world. When you then, because this this does have, it is geared more towards limited atonement, but it does have application to irresistible grace, where you're going to say, well, why why would God apply that salvation to some and not right? Doesn't doesn't God want all to be saved, right? 
which which I think is really going to be the tension that that you're having with irresistible grace. Right. For for the for the reformed and the Calvinists, there's going to be a couple answers that come, and this this is actually going to be why um, I said on your show why I think Calvinism answers some of these a little bit better um, than than others. Um, part of it is um, I don't have so when we read through Romans nine. Right. And he says, well, you know, what if God created the objects uh, to display his wrath? Right. Mm -hmm. You have to remember on a reform view, the purpose of the world isn't this. This might sound kind of counter Christian, what we're used to hearing. (laughs) It's not to bring the most people to salvation. Um, It's to bring God the most glory, Um, which bringing people to salvation is the lion's share of what that is. Um, but we also bring God glory in his wrath, don't we? I mean, we, we, we give God glory for executing justice against sin. Um, if we didn't, if we didn't believe that, then, uh, the atonement is almost meaningless. Right. Um, so, so there's a certain say, well, well, God, you know, he gets glory through executing justice and executing wrath, um, in, in being, um, uh, in being, judge of, of the world. Um, he gets, he gets glory, um, through this might sound harsh, but I think it's biblically true. He gets glory through destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so we're, what we're going to have to say is that no matter what your view is, you're going to have a God who chooses some and not others. Um, and so on Calvinism, I think we can you can make more sense of it because it's for God's glory. So we're maximizing glory. So a part of that is going to be through saving some. A part of that's going to be through um, through judging others so that so that some might be saved. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be part of the category. The other the other major problem is um, and this again. Remember, I said I, I came through the L in Calvinism, mm-hmm. and I'll try to wrap this up because this is this is your question time. Um, it is instead in the atonement the the atonement it it's not a potential thing it's an actual thing um the blood was efficacious on the cross so i i wasn't saved um in in one sense i was saved when i accepted but i was atoned for 2000 years ago on the cross that's when the blood was efficacious that's when um god or jesus actually made propitiation right he actually turned away wrath mm-hmm. he's not offering to turn away wrath he's not saying if you believe i i will turn away wrath no his 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 atonement actually accomplished what it meant to accomplish so if we say the atonement accomplished what it meant to accomplish and the atonement was for all the sins of all people of all the world then why is anyone going to hell, right? This is this is John Owen's famous problem, where he says, "Look, uh, you know, why why are why aren't you a universalist? Um, if 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 Christ uh, did accomplish salvation, and you're saying for it's for all the world, then why why isn't everyone saved? And if you're going to say, well, it's for unbelief, well, then you're going to say, well, then Christ didn't die for all sins because he didn't die for the sin of unbelief." Right, so you, there there are are these problems that happen. That's why I came through that way. So when you come to irresistible grace, really, what's happening in irresistible grace is the atonement is being applied. Um, that's why I'm saying there's there's these deep roots. So you have the atonement. Christ actually propitiated God's wrath against me. He actually brought my paid for my sins. He actually redeemed me. Uh, he actually reconciled me in relationship. Um, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is applied to me irresistibly um, because, you know, Christ doesn't lose who, who, any who the Father has given him. Um, so that's going to be a, a uh, briefer than, than, I, than I would do in paper, but longer than we probably had time for on the show answer to that question. Uh, I think that's a really fair representation of the, the Calvinist view. So um, we will move on to another point. Um, because there's there's a lot I want to pick up there, but I don't want to I, I don't want to keep hitting the same topic for you know 25 minutes and then not going to anything else. So, um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Stratton. Uh, he's a friend of mine um, who's written a few uh, good I think good arguments um, against uh, naturalism and so forth. He has another uh, article that was. Uh, really interesting uh he titles it why calvinism is impossible and we did a show on this we went through his argument yes 
Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, I know him from your show. That's about it. Yeah. So he has uh, a premise in one of his arguments that I think is interesting. And I just, um, and, and when him and I did the show, we didn't have uh, a Calvinist on for kind of a counterpoint. Uh, we just, we, we tried to think of, well, what would they say or what have they said uh, in the comment yeah. sections? Um, so one of his points is if God is all loving, he would not desire to, nor would he send anyone to suffer eternal hell for choices they were powerless to make without God's irresistible grace. So in his argument, what he does is he, he puts together a few premises targeting each one of, uh, God's omni attributes, um, and then goes on to logically yep. conclude so and so on. You get the picture. So, so that that's one thing yep. I was curious about. So, if if God is all loving, and I'm sure you've heard this, uh, He would not desire to, yep. nor would He send anyone to suffer, uh, send anyone to hell, for choices they were powerless to make. So, God sending people to hell uh, for even if they could never have expressed faith because they didn't have His irresistible grace, again seems incompatible some of the things we read in scripture. So I'll let you take it from there. Right. Yeah, sure. A, uh, a couple of this, that's the article, the pedals drop, right? That's right. Uh, pedals drop by Calvinism as well. Yeah. So for, for re, for listeners, if you want to see his article, uh, it's called the, the pedals drop, right? So the, yeah. the pedals of the tulip. Hop, yep. right? Yeah. And we yeah. did a, and we did a whole uh, <laughs> show on that. So, um, yeah. Or you can listen to your show. Um, so, uh, a couple thoughts. The, the first one is, um, I, I, I remember listening. I, I thought it was interesting. I actually pulled, pulled the article cause I, I want to have that, that premise, uh, in front of me as I'm, as I'm looking at it. Sure. Um, okay. Um, there's a couple problems with it. Um, if, so have you ever talked to an atheist and one of the objections that they give you, um, it's an attempt to be an internal critique. But then what happens is uh, they smuggle in some things that aren't part of the view itself. Um, and so it actually ends up being a very sneaky type of straw man. Um, I don't know if you ever had that, the, the type of conversation. I mean, this happens when, when atheists will say, well, the, the Bible is, you know, there's all sorts of evil stuff that happens in the Old Testament. Right. But naturalism right. can account for objective moral values and duties. Right. But, yeah. but even within itself. So, so they yeah. might say, well, if, if God exists, um, then, you know, all this evil stuff happens. Well, the problem is once you get the assumption, if God exists as the Bible presents him and as humans are, and as sin is, ah. none of that's a problem. Right. So, so they, they, they go for one part of it as an internal critique, but they leave out other kind of important parts. Um, so it becomes kind of not, not, maybe not, a, maybe not a straw man, but like a shallow version of it. So it's not really applicable. Here, uh, there's a couple problems with it. Um, so he says, if, if God's um, uh, omnibelevant, he would not desire, nor would he send anyone to suffer eternal hell for choices they were powerless to make without God's irresistible grace. There's a couple problems. First, um, my question is, why not? <clears throat> I, I, I don't... I. Part of me wants to say, well, I'm not sure why not, because maybe God gets his glory for executing his justice. Um, so I, I'm not sure that this premise is necessary. Another problem, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually defend that as a true, but it, it's more of just a, you know, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's the premise is, is, is absolutely false, but I, I don't think it's necessarily true either. Well, I, think, I wouldn't defend that it's not true, but I don't think we need to, you know, we don't need to kind of like, I don't, you know, I don't need to defend a free will defense. But the fact that there is a free will defense shows that the the logical problem of evil isn't valid, right? Yeah, and I don't. So, I don't oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. So I was just going to keep. So keep going. Yep. Uh, okay. So the 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 other problem is I think he actually makes a couple of assumptions that our atheist friends would make. Um, why do people go to hell? Oh, is that a rhetorical question? No, I'm actually oh, asking. Sorry. Oh, you're asking me? Oh, for their unbelief. Do so that that I that I actually don't think is a biblical position. I don't think people go to hell for their unbelief. People go to hell for their sin, uh, of which unbelief is one. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think people go to hell because they reject Jesus. Right, that's one of the sins for why they go to hell. But they're they're justly condemned because of their own sin. Right, so. 
whether or not God gives irresistible grace, I deserve hell because of my actions. So if God is omnibenevolent, uh, he might send people to, to suffer hell uh, for decisions they, they didn't make when they were powerless be, for, because of irresistible grace because they were acting in accordance with their nature and their, their actions were evil. So he might send them to hell to suffer for that. So I don't think that's not necessary. And then the other thing is, is that, and, and I just kind of gave it away, is that on Calvinism, irresistible grace is the spirit applying the atonement. And it's, it's, it's an act of regeneration into our new selves, uh, in, into, our, into our new natures, um, right? We're, we're born again with a new nature. And so when I'm before irresistible grace, before I'm regenerate, I'm freely acting. It's just I'm freely acting from a fallen nature. Whereas after regeneration, I'm freely acting, but I'm freely acting from a regenerated nature. So I can make, so I can make, I can now make decisions that are pleasing to God. I can exercise faith. So before, it's not that I was powerless. It's not that I that I didn't have a will. Uh, I I freely chose sin before God. Um, and so I, I, I'm not sure that this premise is not only not necessary, but I think it misses a couple key components of Calvinism that would actually directly answer it. Hmm. That's interesting that you said you freely chose sin. Um, but I think, and I don't, I don't want to speak for Tim, but I think one thing that he, he's driving at, and if I'm remembering correctly from our discussion, his, his key point of emphasis is if God is all loving, so if he loves all of humanity, if he desires all to be saved, and I think Tim goes on to quote First Timothy 2, 4, which we can shift our attention to next if you'd like. Um, sure. Then if, so if God is all loving, then he wouldn't uh, desire to send somebody to hell for something they were unable to do. So if he's saying, I'm sending you to hell, um, even though you never really had an opportunity to believe in me or a choice uh, to believe in me, um, that seems incompatible, I think. God being all loving, loving all people, and then sending them to hell for something that they, uh, for a, you know, for me, a choice they couldn't have made. So, yeah, uh, part of there's going to be, there's going to be, I think there's other problems with that. So, um, I think every Christian is going to have a problem with that because you're going to have to say, well, what does it mean for us to be fallen in Adam? Am I actually guilty in Adam? Um, if I'm guilty in Adam, did I have a choice in that? Well, no. So I, th- I mean, I think every Christian is going to have an issue already with that kind of moral culpability. Um, but what what I would say is, well, um, no. I mean, I'm 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 freely acting. So part of the answer is also going to come from another reformed doctrine uh, of the secret secret in the, re- the the hidden in the revealed will of God. Right. Um, so God, God desires that no one will murder, right? But that doesn't mean that he makes no one murder. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an expression of God's, um, God's uh, perfect nature, right? It's an expression uh, of him as um, the morally perfect uh, foundation of all, uh, all objective morals. So when you come to something like God desires all people to be saved, well, it's because God desires for, for all to be good for all to do the right thing. Um, God, you know, God isn't sitting around being like, man, I really wish people would sin. Um, but don't you but see how that's a bit inconvenient? At the same time, oh, go God's not under no obligation once we do sin to offer everyone grace. Yeah, I think I think the one thing, and I apologize for cutting you off. Um, oh, no, it's fine. The uh, one thing that I think, though, is if you're saying, well, God does have this desire for all people to be saved, yeah. Uh, he doesn't afford them a, a way to do that. Again, that seems inconsistent with omnibenevolence. Um, I just, I, I don't see how those two things compute. And if we talk about um, original sin versus original guilt, I think that's a good discussion too. Um, but I think, I think overall, if, if we have a understanding of God wanting all to be saved um, and the basis of which they're saved is justification by faith, but he doesn't provide an opportunity to people that doesn't seem to comply with being all loving. Yeah. Oh, this is, so this is when the reformation juices get going because, uh, <laughs> I mean, this goes all the way back to Augustine, right? When he says, look, um, ought doesn't have to imply can, um, just because I ought to honor God, uh, doesn't imply that I can in my nature, in my fallen nature, right? I, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm after the fall. I'm non posse non picari. I'm not able to not sin. Um, 
so just because I ought to not sin, just because I ought to give glory to God, just because I ought to uh, to repent and believe, just because I, I ought to respond to the gospel message that I hear, um, doesn't mean um, that I will. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm not morally culpable uh, for it. Um, so I think that, that, that that's a helpful... Um, that's a helpful distinction for us as well. It is interesting, but I think I think one thing that I like to point out is that is the difference between something God is doing and something we are doing. So if God's giving us a commandment to do something is much different than God saying something that he wants to do himself, something that he's going to do himself, um, which is uh, desiring all to be saved and being all loving. So, yeah. and, and I, think, I think what I've heard before, and maybe you, and I don't want to, paint your view as this, but people will, uh, define all lovingly differently, um, to, to kind of get, not get out, but, you know, haven't given an answer to this issue. So, so that's kind of still where I rest. And I understand what, uh, Augustine's saying. Um, but again, if, if biblically we say God is all loving and I, I would hope we would agree that we, we do see that in the Bible. And we also agree that God desires for all people to be saved. The question is, why don't they? And that's because of man's choice, in my view. So, Yeah, and mine would be reprobation, um, part of God's, God's decrees. Um, and, and this is one of the things where I think axiomatically where uh, both of us are going to Neither system is perfect. I don't claim Calvinism is is without any type of questions oh, right, uh, right, that can right. legitimately be lobbied against it. Um, so I, this this may be this may be one of them. Um, and just because I, you know I, I I don't know, I, I think Calvinism is is on a stronger footing because when I look at something like um, you know God is all loving, well then why couldn't God uh, save you know why couldn't God save all people? Well, because of free will. Okay, but do you, do you do you agree? Uh, okay, it part of part of me wants to say, and, and this is this is uh, you know it's kind of an atheistic argument against uh, what <laughs> what they normally argue against. Uh, but part of me wants to say, well, well, look, if 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 you're in a burning building, and I know you're going to die in a burning building, is it better for me to to, to drag you out despite you not wanting to? Uh, is that more loving or is it me loving to say, well, I'll respect your free will and let you burn? Um, part of me wants to say, well, I, I, if, if we want to hold that, that um, God is all loving in, in that degree to the point where um, he desires all to be saved to that degree, um, then yeah, he could give us an overall free will. Um, but why not trumpet when it comes to salvation? Why, why not uh, act in an act of irresistible grace and override the will uh, and carry us out of a burning house uh, rather than letting us die, right? So I'm not sure that Arminianism has any has a has a. I think they're they're both kind of against a wall on that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, and I would say uh, it, it's because God wants us to be able to make significantly free moral choices. So if and and don't get me wrong, God can do whatever He pleases. Um, so. So sovereignty, God being able to do what he likes to do. And that's, and that's one thing we didn't really touch on was on Molinism. I'm not saying God's hands are tied by any set of uh, uh, external causes or anything. What I would say is that this is the model that God wanted to set up, which is people having uh, significantly free choices. So um, that was just one part I wanted to add. And the other part, too, that it was something I wanted to echo that you said was that was something I talked about in the first part, which is that I... I Neither do I claim that uh, Molinism is a perfect model either. It is a model that I think is the best explanation. But, um, but I do find it interesting uh, the all loving and desire. Um, so, what is your definition of all loving uh, biblically? God being God loving all people, or when you see omnibenevolence? Uh, I think that He loves perfectly. Um, I. I yeah, this 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 might be where we disagree. Uh, I think uh, all loving is 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 a reflection of God's um, God's nature, but I also think it's when it comes to humanity, it's a reflection of His covenant fidelity, um, His His covenant love for for His people, um, His covenant love uh, for His people in Jesus Christ. Um, I uh, I. I'm not sure I follow kind of the the modern Western evangelical view um, uh, where 
I think in some ways it's true. God, God, you know, hates the sin, loves the sinner. Um, I'm not sure that that's always the case, though. I mean, I think there's there's biblical passages where you really have to wrestle with, where it says, you know, God hates the sinner. You know, Esau I loved, or Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Um, so I, I mean, I think there's 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 going to be rough spots, um, kind of all around uh, on on this one. Um, but again, I think if if you define um, God's love in such a way uh, that he that he would uh, do anything possible to to save everyone, um, I, I can think of lots of ways that he could have saved everyone. Um, and and if I can think of them, then then I'm I'm not sure that they're they're not logically possible. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I, I'm sure, I'm sure if I can think of X, Y, and Z ways that, that an omniscient, all powerful God can think of a lot more ways, um, to do it. So, um, I, that's why I think on, on kind of all of these views, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be some, some problems, um, no matter what we have. I just think Calvinism makes a uh, better sense of the biblical passages that we have. Um, which, which by the way, um, you know, you haven't brought it up, but kind of tiptoed around it a little bit. Um, well, I mean, why do we share the gospel? Well, oh, because I don't know. Point. I don't know who's elect. <laughs> I don't know who's elected, who's not elect. Uh, right. And it's by the means of the gospel uh, that God has that God has ordained that um, that that people would come to faith. Right. Um, so we we share the gospel indiscriminately with all who hear, and and the elect respond uh, as as the Spirit draws them. Yeah, that was actually my next point. Um, was evangelism? I didn't want to. I didn't want to muddy the waters in earlier points by bringing that up. Now. Okay. One thing I'm really happy about is neither one of us have made extremely emotional arguments. Like, I just can't imagine how God, you know, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure. You Arminians hate babies. Right. (laughs) So you you want them to all die in infancy unbaptized. Right. (laughs) So I'm happy. I am happy about that. I can do it. <laughs> maybe the next show. Maybe, maybe, we'll, next maybe show, yeah. we'll do a part that'll be, three. That'll be, the, that'll be the be real. Yeah, it's an emotional argument fest. Um, one thing I do find interesting, and I know, uh, and I agree, uh, no Calvinist that I know claims to know who the elect are. I think it's Piper who says the elect aren't painted in red, so we still share the gospel. But you, you do agree, though, that even if you didn't share the gospel, the same people would be saved, right? Um. Well, again, so this this is going to go into, uh, for those of you who want the background of this, listen to uh, the part one on Apologetics 105. Uh, this is going to go into the background that, um, well, uh, if I'm going to share the gospel, uh, is foreordained or not. Mm. What, and I find that uh, slightly conflicting with something you said earlier, is that once you've been saved, you make free choices. Well, I act in accordance with my, I act in accordance with my will. Is the thing, so I can I can choose uh, I, I can choose to not sin is basically what what happens now. So I, I, I it's it's like um, imagine before I was saved I was a dolphin. Uh, weird <laughs> thought I know. Uh, I I had to act dolphinly. I couldn't act humanly. Uh, if regeneration was actually changing me from a dolphin to a human, I could suddenly act humanly where I couldn't before. Um, so my will is tied to my nature. So if I'm tied to a fallen nature, my, the the that's why you know sin is our slave driver, right? My my will is is bound to that nature. My will is bound to my now my my uh, redeemed nature. That's why this is why you know uh, you, you can have two different reformers. One called the bondage of the will, and one called the freedom of the will, and they're talking about basically the same thing uh, because you know you're bound to your nature, but in Christ you're free. Um, they're they're really talking about the the exact same thing. Um, so, so I'm, so I'm free to do the good and I'm free. I, I, I still sin, uh, in, in, in rejection of my nature, but now, now right. I'm free to do things that are truly pleasing to God. I'm, I'm free to exercise faith. I'm, I'm free to, to genuinely repent of my sin and, and grieve over that and to place my faith in Christ. But I can only do that because I'm now acting in accord with my nature. Um, whereas before in, in a fallen nature, I, that, that's, that's not an op. My, my will can't do that because that's not the nature that I have hmm. or had. Well, it's interesting. Uh, and I, and I think we may be equivocating on the word free, uh, by now because earlier when we were talking about coming into your new nature. So when, when God hit you with irresistible grace, uh, you went from a, a fallen nature to a redeemed nature, however you want to classify it. Um, but it's interesting if, if that is free and you're saying free in accordance with your nature, I mean, you're, uh, are you still just uh, are you still making 
moral choices? Are you still responsible for the moral choices that you make, even though you were preordained to do them? Yep. Okay. So, so how does that again tie in with evangelism? And I think just on its face, when you say uh, you were causally determined to do something, but you're doing it freely. I, I just don't see how those are compatible. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so let me, let me, let me look at it from kind of the, the reverse filter. I, sure. I find that this exercise is sometimes helpful. So sure. would you, would you agree, um, uh, with kind of a Romans two view that if you haven't heard the gospel, but you respond in faith to light, you've been given that type of thing, uh, that you're, that you can be saved. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess I'd have to know a little bit more about what you're talking about. Uh, (laughs) There's kind of a traditional view of Romans two where it talks about, um, the, the law written on their heart. And so it it comes out with this theology of, of, well, um, even if someone hasn't heard the gospel, right. But the, the law is written on their heart. They show that they're a person of faith, uh, by the law written on their heart. They still, they still try to please, uh, God as they know him. Uh, they can, they can be saved, right. This kind of a view uh, of, of Romans too. Uh, if you don't hold it, this analogy, we could probably stop here. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's helpful if, if it's not something that you hold to. Let's go, go ahead and press on, um, w- with the analogy. I'm just kind of curious as where it's going. Okay. Um, so in, in that case, um, I actually just lost my train of thought for a second. That's all right. <laughs> I got a little distracted by, by, uh, something, um, in, in that case. So, is it is it better to then go to the tribes and share the gospel, right? Um, so even even on 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 a non-Calvinist view where we really do want to share the gospel with people so that they can be saved, if you're an Arminian, in those cases, I might not want to go share the gospel because the instant I've shared the gospel with someone, they're now morally culpable to the gospel. Uh, whereas if they so they they might have given the light that they were given they might have been living a life worthy of God they suddenly hear it it sounds like a foreign deity it sounds like nonsense to them they reject it they're now condemned right so in the in the Arminian sense when I say well it's the free choice it, you're going to have the same problem on either system of well you don't know who's going to believe who's not going to believe are you morally responsible are you not morally responsible. And do I want to give you more things to be morally responsible about if it won't help you? I see. Yeah, I, and I don't hold uh, to the view that uh, people who just have good thoughts or, or whatever about God are, are still saved, um, at least as, as far as you've said. Uh, that doesn't doesn't sound like something I hold to. So, um, so I, again, uh, just to kind of redirect and I know we're running short on time here, but, um, it, it still seems like even let's say it's a problem on both views and I don't, I don't think it is, but let's just play on Calvinism here. Um, why evangelize? And if it's, if you're saying it's because I'm causally determined to, how does that compute with you saying that you have a, a sense of freedom um, to me, libertarian freedom and causal determinism are are enemies. Uh, so I, so I just it, it's hard to see why evangelism is significant uh, unless yeah, I mean, you say it's something you're already have to do or already something you're already determined to do. Yeah, I mean, I I think ultimately we we are determined, um, but you're going to have other issues. So so even if it even if it was just out of uh, blind obedience uh, to Jesus telling us to. Uh, I think we should. Um, so I, I, I think we're we're embarked in that sense. Where where you know, um, I, I mean, I don't want to trivialize it to to this degree, but it's it's the first thing that came to my head. So even if Jesus said in the morning you have to you know stand in the corner and jump up three times, um, if if that was really God telling us, I mean, really, I mean, if you think about the Old Testament, um, jumping up and down three times not that different sometimes than wearing claws of different fabrics, right? Right. So. Um, but they had significance, right? But the act itself wasn't some, you know, super spiritual act, right? Um, it just had certain significance. So if, if Jesus tells us to evangelize, just by the mere command, I'm obligated to evangelize. Beyond that, um, God has foreordained uh, that, that evangelism is the means by which 
the elect hear the good news of their salvation uh, and, and the spirit acts to regenerate them so they can respond in uh, repentance and faith. Um, so that, that, that is the, the foreordained means. So, so as a, so as a reformed Calvinist, we're going to, I mean, in worship ceremonies, we talk about, um, uh, things like the regular principle where, where we worship in accordance with God, how God has told us that we ought to worship. Um, the same thing is going to happen. I, I don't come up with new ways to try to get people saved. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not finny. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, that, that, that is the way that God has said, that's the means of salvation, um, that, that it's from the proclamation of, of the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, that people come, uh, and, and respond in repentance and faith. Um, so, you know, at one level, I just want to say, well, you know, who, who am I, uh, you know, to, to parrot God's word to Job, you know, who, who am I, where was I when God uh, laid the foundation for this plan that this would be how people would, how his chosen people would come to faith. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not my call. Um, we, we are called to be those who, who scatter the seed indiscriminately um, and, and, uh, and hope for the harvest. Hmm. Well, uh, again, I do think that's extremely consistent with the, with the Calvinist view and it still leaves me a bit puzzled on how moral responsibility comes into play with causal determinism, but not because I'm, because I'm more, you know, I'm, uh, I'm still, I'm still acting in ways that are evil. Um, and, and I'm acting and, and I want to, um, so, you know, in my, in my fallen nature, uh, I, I want to do, uh, the evil. Uh, I, I don't want to do the good that, you know, my, my desires are not in line with God. So, um, I am still, I am choosing in line with my affordination, um, what, what I, what I would want to do in accordance with nature. So I'm, I'm still morally culpable. I still ought to do the good, even though I can't. So, um, I, I would, I would absolutely agree with, with Augustine and or Augustine, uh, and, and against, um, uh, Arminius, not Arminius, uh, Pelagius, uh, that, that ought, um, doesn't imply can. Hmm. And, and that's, and that's what, I think that's where we're going to have to agree to disagree is on the point of, uh, something being your choice. If you're already causally determined to do it like that, to me, that just doesn't, uh, sync with a Y. <laughs> right. So, but this, but this member, remember, uh, I said you basically on our last episode, again, listen to the last episode, everyone uh, on the last episode, I ended saying, basically, look, you arrive at the, the, the functionally, you arrive at the exact same place, uh, on Molinism as you do on Calvinism, but without any of the benefit of any grounding or anything like that, because on Molinism, um, you you can't act differently than what was what what God foreknew. So the only difference is you're saying it's forno, we're saying foreordained. Uh, either way, we can't we don't do different. Well, no, I think, um, I think we do though because we have libertarian free will. We can make significant moral choices that aren't determined. So we we, we free will is not illusory. And to to tie it back to Molinism, and I, I unfortunately do have to close out soon. Um, yeah, I understand. Oh, it's all right. Um, you you gave me the the right of last comment, so I'll let you have the right of last comment here. Do you want to do it now then? You want to wrap up sure. now? Then? Yeah, it, it, we probably should wrap up here. So okay, uh, this this can be all right. Maybe fine. this one this one and one and one final thought. If you want to have it, I'll give you I'll give you right to final. Yeah, I'll just take this. It'll be fine. So, so I guess where I'm still uh, foggy on is the understanding of how we can be causally determined to do something yet free and, and morally uh, held morally responsible for it. And and one thing that I do want to stress and applaud you for as well is that uh, Calvinism, Molinism, Arminianism, wherever you fall, it's entirely secondary. So. I really do encourage people to act accordingly uh, with, with grace and gentleness and respect when they're considering these issues with one another. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to maintain that during this show. So I want to thank you for that and for having me on your show to finish up. No, no problem. And I'm, and I'm never talking to you ever again. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, no, it's been, it's been great having you on. <clears throat> um, so how can my, how can my listeners, uh, find, uh, part one. How can they, how can they follow you? Um, how can they contact you? Any Facebook groups, all that kind of, just give, give us, give us your deets. Uh, yes. So, uh, on Twitter, everything is 
Apologetics 105. So on Facebook, it's forward slash. On Twitter, it's at um, apologetics105.com is the main site. You can do a forward slash podcast or click on the podcast tab and you will see part one uh, for this uh, show on there. And um, we'll have to decide off air when these will go up. So that way they're going up correctly. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, so, yeah, so that's pretty much the gist of it. So Facebook, Twitter, um, Podbean is who hosts my website. So it's just apologetics105.podbean.com if that's the app you have or, or if that's your preferred listening uh, way or device. So so that that's pretty much how you can get a hold of me and how you can find the part one for this. Awesome. Well, Rob, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. We appreciate having you here. Uh, we'll, we'll have you on again sometime to maybe uh, deal with some of these issues or, or other issues dealing with apologetics. Maybe we can be on the, on the same side of the mat on something. Um, so thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. Hope you have a good night, buddy. You too. So thank you all for listening to uh, the Free Thinker Podcast. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, commendations, or condemnations, feel free to follow us on uh, Facebook, on the Free Thinker Podcast group. Uh, you can find the blog at freethinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. Uh, find us on iTunes, uh, or you can send an email to freethinkerpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening so much. Have a good night, and God bless.